Welcome back to the Penalty Box Podcast. Liam Gottimer here alongside my good friend and co-host Will Peshik. And Will, as the Big Islander fan that you are, I cannot start this episode of the Penalty Box any other way than talking about the Islanders' Game 4 victory at the Coliseum. They have tied the series at 2-2, two to two, and boy, did they look good last night. And Will, to give a quick synopsis of what I saw, for the first time, Throughout the entire season and throughout the entire playoffs, I saw the Islanders play Islanders hockey last night. And that is a very, very good sign for the rest of this series because you go to game six in Boston. And if you're able to win that one, you're winning, uh, excuse me, game five in Boston. If you win that one, you're winning game six at the Coliseum. Will, we said it during the Pittsburgh series. You asked me if the Islanders go to Pittsburgh and they win game five. Do they win the series and win game six? I said, absolutely. That's what happened. And will the Islanders have a chance to do it once more in anticipation of game five in Boston? I saw Islanders hockey. I saw that shutdown game that led them all the way to game six of the Eastern Conference final in double overtime last night for the first time in a while. What did you see and how happy are you uh, with the two game performance uh, at Nassau Coliseum? Well, a couple of things that stood out to me. Number one, they shut down Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand. Well, they wouldn't have if Marchand didn't miss a wide-open net and hit the outside of the far post, which was he hits that 101 times out of 100, right? Mm-hmm. Um, past two games now, game three and game one, they've kept the Marchand line intact except for the goal that Varlama would like to have back. Those are the positives that I see in the game. Another positive is Matt Barzell is back to the Matt Barzell that he was what he was in the bubble last year. The series against Pittsburgh, he was a ghost. He didn't score any goals that series. This one, he scores two big goals. One that tied the game late in regulation and one that gave the Islanders the lead late in regulation. Say what you want. He has a better baseball swing than most of the Yankees do right now with that hand-eye coordination hitting it into the net right behind Tukarask. Now, as good of as good of a goalie as Tukarask has been and is playing like, you take any goal you could get and you run with it. However, well, yeah, continue. You go to game five now in Boston, and I think whoever wins game five probably comes out on top. I couldn't agree with you more, Will. I mean, personally, just on that note by itself, I do think if Boston wins game five, I do think we are heading towards game seven. I mean, look, Boston showed that they can beat the Islanders at the Coliseum, but that's a goal that Varlamov should have had. And I think, you know, like you said, 101 times out of 100, I think the Islanders win at the Coliseum. I think with the crowd behind them like they are and playing the hockey that they are playing alongside the goaltending from both Semyon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin, they're going to be especially tough to beat. But Will, we spoke about on last episode, the Islanders' ability to score garbage goals. And they're, you know, they're not going to be flashy. You know, you said it yourself. I think you said you've watched this entire playoffs and you haven't seen the Islanders score an actual goal. That's what they did against Boston last night. If you look at what has been the catalyst to help Matthew Barzell become the player that he was in the regular season and in seasons past when he won the Calder, of course, it was getting to the front of the net. It was scoring those garbage goals. There are not going to be as much room as there is during the regular season on the ice to maneuver and make plays and to see Barzell getting to the front of the net, you know, going at wraparounds, trying to get in front of Rask, trying to distract him, trying to get tips, deflections on net. It's all working out. And the fact that it's their best player that is coming through in these big moments. I, you know, 
look, everything is going right for the Islanders. You win game five, you win the series. That's, that's me, really the memo. Let me right say now. this too. This is a Boston Bruin defense that now you take away Brandon Carlo, and they're pretty depleted back there. Um, Charlie McAvoy, we know, is probably going to win an Norris someday with, with, with how good he is. However, you look at the Bruin defense as it is, and yes, for those watching at home, I am walking around my bedroom. I don't have a chair. So this is going to be an on-the-go type of podcast. But it, it, it's crazy because this is a team that once had Brandon Carlo, once had Zendano Chara, and once had Tory Krug. And throughout the regular season, Jeremy Lawson played great. He was one of their better defensemen. Jacob Zaboro was in the lineup. And now all of a sudden, the Bruins are having a hard time keeping the puck out of their own end because of how sluggish that defense is, Liam. Well, Will, obviously, uh, Carlo. Carlo now, who yeah. – they're saying he's day-to-day. I doubt he's actually day-to-day. I think there's more underlying stuff there um, that they're not telling us. Yeah, However, yeah. you got to take advantage of that bottom six. And you notice Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and Martin, they are putting the bodies on Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick as much as they can because they're going to see a lot of minutes in game five, and you tire them out, your chances of winning are pretty good. Uh, precisely, Will. And, you know, uh, one interesting note on the Bruins defense and Brandon Carlo specifically, it was a hit, I believe, uh, by Cal Clutterbuck uh, in game number three, I want to say, in game three uh, that led, obviously, Carlo to become day-to-day. He's been one of the most key defensemen on this team. And, Will, we spoke about it, you know, uh, when the offseason was finishing up and when we were heading into the regular season, when we were doing our predictions, the Bruins defense was the one thing that really held, I think, both of us back from saying that this is going to be the team that is really going to come out of the Mass Mutual Eastern Division. And I think that conversation is creeping its way back in during this series against the Islanders. Look, obviously, they have Charlie McAvoy, who is going to be a Norris Trophy candidate for years to come. He is on the level of guys like Adam Fox like Kale McCarr, like Quinn Hughes, you know, that talented, that number one type D-man mentality. So I think that they're in a good position with him. But hey, when you lose Brandon Carlo, when you lose, obviously, Zidane Chara in the offseason, it forces Boston to rely on guys like Jared Tenorti, who came in. He was a waiver pickup, you know, in the beginning of the season. I'm not sure if you remember that. He ends up dropping the gloves. Uh, last night with Matt Martin, I believe it is. Matt Martin really puts something into Jared Tenorti. But, Will, the defense is a question mark, but for Boston, right now, the reason why this series is tied is because they can't score goals and they can't get behind uh, that Islanders trap defense. The bottom six of the Islanders is a lot stronger than Boston's bottom six. Uh, I don't know if, if you listen to the Spin Chicklets podcast. Uh, from time to time, yes. Time to time. They could be a little bit on the edge have some very broad takes, but they were saying when you watch game two against the Boston Bruins, what the Islanders do compared to what the other teams in NHL do, they said over time, the Bruins are not going to send out their fourth line of Corrali and Wagner. The Islanders will do that. And they have faith in that fourth line where they're just going to grind you out and find ways to get the puck into the offensive zone and then go off for a line change. Well, sure enough, it's Casey Zizekas who scores at a breakaway. And out of all the guys, if you're the Bruins, who you want to give a breakaway to, it's those three guys on that fourth line, Martin, Zizekas, or Clutterbuck. But they, they see a lot of minutes, and that's why this series is the way it is right now. Because the Boston Bruins' bottom six, they can't match up with the Islanders' bottom six. John Gabriel Pajot, you could argue – He's a second-line center on most NHL teams. 
Uh, Kyle Palmieri, you could argue, is a first, second-line winger on other NHL teams. Travis Zajac, sure, they're in line, but he's playing for Oliver Wallstrom, who you put him on the Red Wings, he's a first-line right wing. So their bottom six is a lot stronger than most of these teams in the playoffs right now, and you're seeing why it's paying dividends. And Barry Trotz is not afraid to give Zizekas more ice time than Matt Barzell if he knows it's going to grind out the opponent. Right, Will. And, you know, that brings me back to one specific quote after game three. Uh, The reporters asked Cal Clutterbuck, and he said, you know, what was going through your mind on that play with Brandon Carlo? Was there an intent to injure? Was there any bad blood there? You know what Clutterbuck said? He said, no. He said, I'm never, you know, out to injure any player, which I totally believe. And he said, I'm out there to create havoc and create turnovers. And I think that attributes perfectly to what you just said. You know, the fourth line is out there to agitate. We saw that with the Matt Martin, Jared Tenorti fight. And they are there to create turnovers like Cal Clutterbuck said himself. And as far as the bottom six, there's nothing more important for a team's success than to have a good bottom six. And Will, there's only one team left in the playoffs that has a better bottom six than the Islanders. And I think it's the Tampa Bay Lightning and they won the Stanley Cup. And that's why that series was so close. But this year, it's a little bit different. The Islanders are not as top heavy because, of course, they don't have Anders Lee, but they're a better bottom heavy team. Look, I totally agree with you. I think John Gabriel Paggio is an elite third line center, and he is a perfect second line center for most other teams in the NHL, certainly on the Rangers. I can agree uh, with that. Uh, and, you know, guys like Kyle Palmieri, guys who play that physical game, they've been in the postseason before. Well, I think we are headed towards another Islanders, Tampa Bay. Uh, I guess you can call it Eastern Conference final conference final but uh but yeah the bottom six is huge will you look at the the bruins scoring line we i mean you said from the start of the year they are a one-line team and you take away that one line they don't score many goals game one david posternock had a hat trick they scored five goals one of them being an empty net you take david posternock off the ice the bruins score one goal in game one now game two different story Game three, they only scored two goals. Game four, they scored one goal. I believe Islanders lost 2-1 game two. So you take away game number one and Pasternak doesn't play. The Bruins score one goal in game one, two goals in game two, uh, two goals in game three, and one goal in game four. Absolutely. Yeah. They're having a hard time scoring goals. And if you're a Bruin fan listening to the show, is that a, a reason for concern? I don't think so. You have one of the greatest pure goal scorers in the league today in David Pasternak, but since his hat trick and since missing the empty net, which he hits 99 times out of a hundred, he's not doing much offensively. When you are playing in the playoffs, you have to expect as a team that your top six is not going to produce like they did during the regular season. The top six is going to garner the best defensive pair. So that's why you've seen Barzell, the Barzell line and the Pasternak line, the perfection line, as some people call it, they've been completely shut down. Why are the Islanders, you know, in a better spot, in my opinion, in this series right now, having it being tied two to two, it's all about the bottom six, the bottom six, Boston versus the Islanders. It's not particularly close. If you ask me, I mean, look, The Bruins did a good job. They made the move that they had to make going out there and acquiring Taylor Hall from the Buffalo Sabres at the trade deadline. But that only helps the top six. Taylor Hall is not playing on your third line. He's not playing on your first line, fourth line. He's playing on your second line. So lines three and four, what do you have? And for the Bruins, it's not as much as the Islanders. 
And that's why I really have a hard time saying that they are going to run away with this series. I do think it goes seven, but now four games in, Will, I think my prediction is going to have to switch. I think that the Islanders showed me that they have the ability to play that lockdown game last night, and I don't think they sway away from that. I think Barry Trotz really hammers it home until the end of the series. In the final six and a half minutes of regulation, the Boston Bruins had a one-shot attempt, but no shots on goal. In the final 455, they had none, nothing. When the Islanders scored the go-ahead goal by Barzell, it was lockdown mode for the rest of the game. Exactly. And that's what the Islanders do so well. If, if you give up the first goal to the Islanders, excuse my language, you're fucked. You, you, you really are because they will shut it down for the rest of the game. If it's a zero, zero tie, a chess match going into the third period and the Islanders score, that's game right there. They shut it down like no other team in the league does. And unless you've got an offense that is so overpowered that they can score goals like that, you're not going to win. And that shows you exactly why the only team to take them down last year was the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think the same thing really applies this year, at least in the East. When they are coming behind in a game, multiple times in the series, Boston goes up one, nothing in game number three. And where after they scored, you're like, crap, we're not scored. Tuka Rest looks unbeatable. What do they do? They go to the net. They grind hard. Palmieri pokes at the pad. Barzell follows the net, and he scores at a wraparound. Game number four, they give up a, a, a goal in the second period, which Barry Trussell was goal interference. I don't know how that was going to be overturned. A minute, two and a half minutes later, they score the game-tying goal. They just don't hesitate. They make the opponent work for the win. And the Islanders are, like you said, Liam, if the Islanders score the first goal, 18 seconds into the game, they are content with not scoring another goal for the rest of the game. They will do chip and chase for the next 55 minutes and they will shut you down. But I do want to ask you this. Let's shift our attention to possibly one of the bigger stories. uh, The hit by Mark Shifley on Jake Evans. Uh, First of all, I hope Jake Evans is okay, but my opinion is might be a little bit unpopular, but hear me out. What what I'm going to say, I think what Mark Shifley did was charging. No doubt. I think it's a two minute charging penalty. However, I think because Jake Evans got hurt, they had to suspend him. I think when you look at what happened from a full play point of view, this is a very close game where Winnipeg is trying to come back in this hockey game. And Mark Shifley, who is a veteran presence, he's a leader in that locker room said, the only way I'm going to prevent this goal from going in is if I lay a body check. Now, if you watch the replay, Jake Evans never picks his head up when he has the puck. His, he's focused on one thing, and that's scoring the empty net goal. There's 11 other guys on the ice there, your teammates and the Winnipeg Jets who have an extra guy because they just pulled the extra attacker. So he never picks his head up once. Mark Shifley realizes that, and he tries to stop himself before he hits Jake Evans. I think if he gets up and celebrates the goal, there is no suspension. That's just my opinion. I don't think it was a dirty hit. I don't think it was malicious. I think it was a guy going hard to prevent the goal in the playoffs. But the guy ended up getting hurt, and that's unfortunate. Well, um, you know, I think I'm going to have an even more unpopular opinion than you do. I think it's a great defensive play by Mark Shifley. Uh, I would have suspended him one or two games. I don't know if I would have gone four. And let me just ask you, Department of Player Safety, you know, the 2% chance that you're listening to this. So you look at the Tom Wilson play, and you look at that play, and you decide to – 
he decided to suspend Mark Shifley. Okay, got it, got it. Same with Ryan Reeves. Okay, so anyway, we'll move past that. That's just my Ranger, you know, bias being unhappy with with everything going on there. But look, I think it's a good defensive play by Shifley. I think Evans is a young player. He's an inexperienced player, especially in the postseason. You got to have your head up. Uh, obviously you don't like to see what ended up happening to him. It's, I think it could have been a five minute charging penalty, probably should have been a five minute charging penalty, a major, uh, and it should have been a one or two game suspension, but for everybody getting up in arms and for everybody on social media, hiding behind a computer screen, going after Mark Shifley's wife and going after Ethan bear, even going back to the first round series should truly be ashamed of yourself and don't watch hockey because me and will, don't associate ourselves with people like that. Uh, it's just heinous. Uh, Shifley, tough hit. Evan should have his head up. Four-game suspension. I think everybody can be happy with that. I think it's the wrong move by the Department of Player Safety, but at least they did something. I can be content with that. But, Will, before we continue this conversation, I just want to go back to what happened last night with the spear to Matthew Barzell and his uh, groin area. And it's funny because I was listening to the car at that point. And they said a slash is when you physically come down with the stick on somebody else's body or stick. He literally took the stick and just jammed him. And look, he got fined $5,000, but that's 25 cents compared to what we no, five thousand dollars too. It's a sensitive. That's a sensitive area too. <laughs> yeah, He's putting um, that was, out there. It was originally ruled a five-minute major, um, and then they reviewed it and they lowered it down to two. Um, they did that because I don't think if it was two, you could challenge for five. They have to call it five and then review it to see if it's a major. And then they could decrease it. You just can't tack on. Right, right. Um, but he got fined for it. Is it suspension worthy? I mean, with, with what we've seen from the Department of Player Safety, nobody who knows. knows. Yeah. Like, who knows? Um, Krejci hasn't done much in a series besides just when face off. He scored the goal yesterday, but I, I don't see an issue with that. Uh, yeah, it was um, it was a dirty play. Obviously, Barzell did cross-check Krejci beforehand, but I'm sorry. Uh, a cross-check is a hockey play. What Krejci did to Barzell is not a hockey play. So, hey, I'll let the NHL Department of Player Safety look over it. I guess they already have and find Krejci uh, $5,000. It is what it is, but uh, this series is getting very chippy, very Can fast. But Montreal yeah. is up two games to none. Look, right. I was, the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to say I was stunned that they beat Toronto. However, when you go into Winnipeg and you win two games, albeit 700 fans, 1,000 fans, you win two games, not on the back of your goal scoring, on the backs of Carey Price, who's been battling injury for most of the couple past couple of seasons. And I don't mean to call the series over, but it's going to be very tough for Winnipeg to come back in this series. Liam, th- this is giving me 2012 Los Angeles Kings vibes for the Montreal Canadiens right now. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting comparison, Will. And look, they obviously took down the big, bad Toronto Maple Leafs. And, Will, I agree with you when you say that you were a little surprised that they beat Toronto, but I don't think anybody should be surprised when they beat Toronto in the playoffs. It just seems to be a common occurrence every single season. Uh, but, look, got to give credit where it's due. Montreal is a very well-built team. I said it at the beginning of the season. You said it at the beginning of the season. When you look at a roster, you want to look at a roster that has no holes. With Montreal, I see a team that has firepower up front with Tyler Toffoli, 
Tomas Tatar, all those guys. I see a team with young players that are developing into superstars. Your Nick Suzuki's, your Cole Caulfield's, your Yasperi Kakaniemi's. And then the defensive core, which is rough and tough, and they are going to go at you, and they are going to make life extremely difficult for the opposing offense. You got veterans like Corey Perry, who have won Stanley Cups before, and perhaps the best goaltender in the playoffs that's left in Carey Price. So look, it's giving me Kings vibes too. I took Winnipeg in six, but I'm going to stick with my pick. I'm going to say Winnipeg in seven games. I don't think that they're done yet, and I think once – they get Shifley back, even if they, you know, if they have a chance to play with Shifley back in this series, obviously after the four game suspension, uh, we will see, but I'm going to stick with Winnipeg, but that's not to say that I have not been very impressed by the Montreal Canadiens, but boy, oh boy, will whoever wins that series has a rough next round matchup because transitioning to our next series, the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights, Vegas squeaked out a victory against Colorado game three at home at Vegas. And the series is two to one. Will I said last week, I said, this series isn't going to be particularly close. I said, I'd give Vegas one win Colorado in five. I'm sticking with it. What are your thoughts after three games in that series? Vegas just looks dead. I think that seven game series with Minnesota took all the life out of them. Uh, sure. They win a game, but it was a game that they showed up late to in the third period of that game. Uh, I think if Colorado goes up three, one, it's over. Um, Vegas has never had a rebuild, so they can't even say, let's try to rebuild again. Um, But I just like Colorado's chances. Some people are saying Colorado's a Tampa Bay of the East of, of the United States. I don't see how that's true. Um, I think Vegas is in some trouble here. If they fall behind three games to one, I think Colorado is a team to beat out West. Yeah, uh, I certainly agree. I think Colorado, we said it on last week's episode, they are just in a tier of their own. Uh, And look, I think starting Robin Leonard in game one is really going to come back to haunt the Vegas Golden Knights. I think Colorado is just a tier above everybody else. And when you look at complete teams, it doesn't get any more complete than Colorado. The best defense left in the playoffs. You have a Vesna Trophy candidate in Philip Grubauer, backstopping in net, and Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Brandon Saad, Gabriel Landeskog, JT Confer, the list goes on and on. They are so, so talented uh, up front, and I think they are going to win the Stanley Cup. But that's a topic for another day. Will, our final series, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes, a series that is three games to one. And what a game we had yesterday. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but Tampa Bay ended up winning six to four. Carolina had a four goal second period and still lost the game six to four, four power play goals in the game for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Will, when I say that the Colorado Avalanche are in a tier of their own, is the same going to be said for the Tampa Bay Lightning? I don't think Carolina was that good, to be honest with you. I told you during the season, I said, I'm not scared of Carolina. They won the division. Great. They obviously are not. They took Nashville all the way to six games, which many people had them sweeping. They had a hard time beating them. Tampa Bay, I think, is going back to the Stanley Cup final. And I think they have a legitimate shot to get a two-peat because I mean, that's how good they are. The Demons were exercised. They found ways to win last year after years of disappointment and years of coming up short, swept by Columbus. Uh, beat by Chicago in the Stanley Cup final back in 2015. They found a way to win last year, and I don't think they're slowing down anytime soon. 
Yeah, well, and you know, just to address the Carolina, right? Carolina, I said on last week's episode, I said the one thing that's holding them back is the ability to score goals. They're just simply not scoring enough. And when you look at the bottom six and, you know, you question Boston, when you question Montreal, Winnipeg, all these other teams, I don't think you can question another team more than the Carolina Hurricanes. But you know what really gets me? They put in Peter Mrazek in yesterday's game. They finally put up four goals and Mrazek lets up six I've said it for years now. Mrazek sucked in Detroit. He sucked in Philadelphia. And he sucks in Carolina. What happened to Alexander Nedeljkovic? Just going to leave him on the side. This series is over, Will. I maybe give Carolina one more game. Tampa in six, I'll say. Uh, but, Will, to close out the episode, I just want to get your thoughts. Because it's looking like, I don't want to set anything in stone or jinx anything, but it's looking like we might get an Islanders-Tampa Bay rematch in the conference final, are you more, uh, you know, ready for this? Do you have more confidence in the Islanders this we season have, or in the bubble? We have to go through to Boston first. Uh, obviously, right. first one, the two now. Whoever wins two games first wins the series. And am I confident that they win the series? I want to say so. They just can't have a letdown game five because game six, if they lose and go down three, two, now you have to win in Boston again. And they show that they can win in Boston, just like Boston showed that they can win here. So it starts tomorrow. Um, if they beat Boston, they were two games shy beating Tampa last year. And a double overtime, they lost. They were goalie enforcing a game seven. If Brock Nelson just lifts the puck a little bit, we go to a game seven. Um, so yeah, I like my chances with Tampa Bay, but we have to beat Boston first. And you never truly know what happens. Uh, Will, I guess we'll close this episode, but you know what? We have eight teams left. Let's just run through a prediction. I have my, I'll share my screen. I do have the entire bracket right in front of me. Oh, I need to, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Zoom's just taking the proper precautions. Doesn't want anybody to take over the call. But sharing my screen right now, if you can see that, here is the entire bracket. So Will, I'll just run through it myself. Colorado and Vegas, they're up two to one. I'm going to take Colorado in five games. Montreal's up two nothing against Winnipeg. I'll take Winnipeg in seven games. Uh, the Islanders in Boston, I said it early on in the podcast, give me the Islanders in six. I think they win in Boston. I think they win back at Nassau Coliseum as well. Uh, and yeah, obviously Tampa Bay in six games and going to the conference finals. I'm going to take Tampa Bay, but I think instead of last year, I think the Islanders are going to push Tampa Bay to seven this time and set up a, uh, you know, a third time around coming up possibly next year uh, and Winnipeg and Colorado, not even close. I'm going to take Colorado all the way. I'm even going to take Colorado over the Tampa Bay lightning. And I think it's not really going to be that close either. I'm going to take Colorado in five or six. I'm really like the avalanche that much. I just think that they are just, just like Tampa Bay was last year. I cannot put it any better. They're just in a, well, I'm of their own. I'm going to take Montreal going to the Stanley Cup final. Um, wow. Hey. Okay. Okay. Uh, hey, you know what? Uh, what? You know what, Will? When you said the Los Angeles Kings, they were the number eight seed, you know, way back when in 2012, and they ended up, you know, taking down the Devils in the Stanley Cup final. It could happen, but you have Montreal going over Colorado or Anything Vegas. It could happen. Remember, Tampa Bay got swept by Columbus a couple years ago. Anything can truly happen. And with Carey Price in net, uh, and like I said, the veterans, the rookies, the defense core, the offense, and the goaltending, Montreal has everything you need. So I certainly could see that happening. 
Will, on the east side of it, what are you thinking? Are you going to take your Islanders? I'm going to take the Islanders against Carolina. Um, Carolina? I don't want to face Tampa again. I Come on, Will. You just you just ran down Carolina. You can't no, take that. I'm kidding. I think, <laughs> I think it's going to be the Islanders and Lightning. And I, I think it's going to be the Lightning in six again. Um, I just okay. think a far more superior, and I think the Lightning go back to back. Think Lightning go back to back? Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Will taking the Tampa Bay Lightning for a second year in a row. I'm going to take Colorado. Hopefully they don't uh, fail on me like they did last year in Game 7 against the Dallas Stars. Luckily, Dallas is not in the playoffs. My screen is no longer shared. Will, do you have anything else to say? I'm looking forward to Game number 6, Islanders and Bruins, and, of course, the rest of the series. And, Will, I just want to address one thing before we end the show. I saw a tweet. Uh, from a couple days ago that said that the opening act was Montreal and Winnipeg and the main event is uh, Colorado and Las Vegas. You agree with that? I would say so. Yeah, Yeah, you would say so. So, well, there you have it. Didn't really expect to see Will taking Montreal to the Stanley Cup final, but it happens. Other teams have done it before. Let's see if this year's Montreal Canadiens can be the Los Angeles Kings of 2012. This has been the Penalty Box Podcast. Until next time, Liam Godmer here alongside Will Peshek. Thank you so much for listening.